Hello, everyone. This is The Truth of the Matter Is. I am your host, Daniel. Of course, I am here with Jonathan for episode number 66. Speaking on behalf of myself and Jonathan, we just want to let you know that we appreciate you for listening in today. Before we begin, let's give a round of applause to all who decided to tune in today. This could be episode one in your book or episode 66 as a long-time listener. We thank you and hope that you continue to press play at your own convenience. So, Daniel, how are you? How are you doing today? I'm well. I'm doing quite all right. It's been a pretty good day. How, How about yourself? I'm doing well. So, this is a little bit off topic, but anything interesting? Any shows you've been watching? Anything that's... You gotten some joy out of, got your good laugh. Not in terms of shows, I've really just been gaming a lot lately, getting ready for the pro season. So, okay, just mostly a uh, comp- competition level stuff. That's that's all. Just a lot of practice. And what about you? Well, there was this show I just got finished watching. Finished it yesterday. It's called The Devil in. Ohio, the devil in Ohio. Very interesting things about this cult. And basically, this young lady came from a cult environment, left. And apparently, they was over there worshiping the devil. Some interesting stuff. It's in the top 10 list on Netflix. So, I was watching that. And I'm always intrigued to learn new things, especially with things revolving the supernatural now obviously my faith in christ remains but it's always important to learn about other faiths for conversations and you never know how the conversation you have with someone the opportunity that you might have to lead them to christ so it's important to be fluid and of course don't let any of those ideas cloud your judgment and what you believe or have you question it but it's always good to be exposed, but not too much, you know? Sort of this idea of eat the meat, throw away the bone. Don't embrace it entirely, but don't be ignorant of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hey, man. So that's... Shout out to Satan. Yeah. A lot of the things that <laughs> followers of Christ do, they do also, you know? We got the book of the Bible. They got the book of the covenant. A lot of similarities. The devil is very active and copycat you know in order to deceive people and lead them astray so we have to be mindful of the enemy and the different tactics that they use that he uses rather to lure people out of the faith and try to give them the same hope because it stems from this idea that people were worshiping Yahweh and apparently they had an experience of famine and do that through that process They felt that God wasn't being present with them. And then apparently they got some revelation, some new gospel about a crow telling them to do certain things. And it was obviously people were led astray. And ultimately they started worshiping Satan, the angel of light. Because it does does talk about Satan being an angel of light and leads people astray in the Bible. mentions that. So people forget that Lucifer, who's Satan... 
it was a fallen angel. So he does have the ability to manipulate and lead people down a path of confusion, but also lead people down a path because, again, his goal was that he wanted to be like God. So, of course, that's what he's doing behind the scenes. But it's important that we're able to discern those sort of things. But, yeah, that's pretty much what my Friday and Saturday looked like. I was intrigued by the show and it's entertainment. So I love to be entertained from time to time. Doesn't affect my reality and what I believe, though. So before we go to the Lord in prayer, then I thought it would be a good idea to let our audience know that the style for today's discussion will be a tab different. And for good reason. Now let's jump right in with prayer, first and foremost. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, we give you all the glory, all the honor, all the praise. As we go to your word today, we ask that all eyes are open, all ears are ready to hear, and all hearts are ready to receive, and all minds are ready to be open. Allow all who decide to tune in today to see how the Bible could be a puzzle. Once the the puzzle has been put together, then the wow factor can begin to sink in and people can begin to see how you're a God of process and a God who could turn bad situations into positive ones, cause the rain to fall on the righteous and the unrighteous. Lord, after today's discussion, I hope that we can all agree and be on the same accord when it comes to how good of a God you are. Even if it doesn't seem so, we say these things in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Yeah, so today we are going to go about things a bit different, in a different way. I have a different approach for the meaning of this conversation. Instead of just looking at one specific verse, we need to look at several verses to really understand what God has done here in the message or the conversation we're going to have for today. It's going to be more like episode 38. So. For those who don't know, episode 38 was titled, The Strategic Way of God. Episode 38 was titled, The Strategic Way of God. And in that episode, we use four verses as a base to pinpoint and then to expand and share God's handiwork. So, to see what he actually was allowing and then doing to ultimately share his bigger intention, a plan, and everything along the way, I would say, was for learning and was extra. So we plan to talk this thing out and through so that you can see what our thoughts were in the study that we took upon ourselves to do in preparation for today. And at the end, it will be at your liberty to agree or disagree with us. So let's get things started. The title of this podcast is Take My Hand for Another Chance. Again, it's Take My Hand for Another Chance. Soon enough, you will see why it was titled that. Now, I want to get back to, I want to do a couple of things. But first, let's backtrack a little bit because context is going to matter here. Okay, so everything that we're going to do, we're going to lead up to it a little bit by little bit. Consume the information, process the information. and You'll see how valuable it is when the ultimate conclusion is drawn. So let's begin with Luke chapter 20. And we're going to look at verses 45 through 47. And we're also going to look at several different translations. We're going to begin with the English Standard Version. Okay, Daniel, take it away. And in the hearing of all the people, 
he said to his disciples, Beware of the scribes, who like to walk around in long robes, and love greetings in the marketplaces, and the best seats in the synagogues, and the places of honor at feasts, who devour windows, houses, and for a pretense make long prayers. They will receive the greater condemnation. So we begin with Jesus informing us to beware of the scribes, right? And also, he wants to point out how the synagogue leaders devour widows in the homes, right? Now, he wants us to be aware of the hypocrisy that was transpired and what to expect to those who proclaim that they are not just individuals that are leaders, but also what we should be mindful of and the type of behavior that's being put on display. This is a warning that we should be adhering to. Okay. Now let's go to Luke 21 verses 37 and 38, staying in the English standard version. Every day he was teaching in the temple. But at night, he went out and lodged on the Mount called Olive. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. So we learn that Jesus every day in the morning was seen preaching where? In the temple. However, at night, scripture says Jesus went out. And the term that's used here is logged onto the Mount called Olive. So the term logged here means a cruel shelter or a habitation, a cabin, or hunt, a house that is used as a temporary residence, basically. So it's safe to say, based on scripture, that Jesus was staying in a cabin or hunt located at the Mount Cordalis. Let's move on to chapter 22, and let's look at the first two verses. So we're going to look at Luke chapter 22, verses 1 through 2, and we're going to, again, stay in the English Standard Version. Now the feast of the unleaved bread drew near, which is called the Passover. And the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him to death, for they feared the people. So the last verse we looked at told us that Jesus was preaching in the temple every day for an extended period of time. So so much that it became a re- it became repetitive, right? It was a repetitive thing that the people started to notice. Therefore, they came to the temple more often because they wanted to learn. And I would imagine that this was a concern to the priests and the scribes because with more consistency from the people, Jesus was basically building up following. Okay? Now, Luke 21, verses 38 says, All the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Right. So as a result, the priests and the scribes were concerned about a potential movement or revolution. Now, a revolution is basically a radical change in the established order, usually the established government and or social institution. OK, so the low key thing was Jesus did spark a movement that endorsed love, grace and mercy. Right. And once Jesus began to share the message of the kingdom of God, which is the government of God, Things change, right? The mentality changed. People began to understand that the kingdom of God wasn't just a place. It was also a mindset. If you want to learn more about the kingdom of God, we suggest that you check out episode 37, the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven. 
Now, I can understand why the priests and the scribes had every right to be of concern, because remember, Jesus was doing things that was corrupt in the order that they had. And remember, the Jews were allowed to practice their religious beliefs under Roman government as long as they capitulated with Roman laws, like paying the taxes to Caesar, is one of the many demands they needed to follow. Right Now, here's where things get interesting, and I hope everyone is following me as we take things slow here. We learn in verse 1 of chapter 22 in Luke that the Passover is approaching. Now, for those who don't know, the short explanation of the Passover is a celebration, a liberation from slaves in Egypt. Hence, the term the passing over indicates the passing over of the force of destruction or the sparking of the firstborn of, this, of the Israelites. When the Lord struck the land of Egypt on the eve of the Exodus, okay, that's also in the book of Exodus. You can check that out in your spare time. In verse 2, we see that the priests and the scribes were looking into a way to kill Jesus, for they were in fear of the people. Now, let's unpack the psychological and philosophical mindset of the devil, right? We know that Jesus tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 10, verse 10, and, and it says that we're going to, actually, we're going to only look at the first half of this verse in John 10, 10. It says the devil, who is a thief in this context, right? He's a thief in this context. I want to make sure that I explain that. The devil comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. We understand that, right? That's what he comes to do. The key word is only. So he only comes to steal, kill, and destroy. Here's another verse about the devil that we should be aware of. We're going to look at this in 1 Peter chapter 5. We're going to look at verse 8 in the NIV. Be alert. And of sober mind, your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, looking for someone to devour. So let's understand this. So if the devil only, key word here, is only comes to kill, steal, and destroy, that would mean the situation needs to present an opportunity for stealing, killing, and or destroying. Remember in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27 through 28, this is what it says. Do not give the devil a foothold. Anyone who has been stealing must steal no longer. So unfortunately, so far in the Gospel of Luke, what we have here is a foothold. Remember, in Luke 22, verse 2, it says the chief priests and the scribes were seeking how to put him, who is Jesus, to death. To him, in the context, is Jesus. And we have a gentleman by the name of Judas Iscariot, right? Now, before we continue, let's talk a little bit about Judas, right? Judas was an untrustworthy person, and Jesus knew this. How did he know this? Well, the scripture tells us in the Gospel of John, chapter 6, we're going to look at verses 64 through 71, and we're going to look at this in the NIV version. Daniel? For Jesus had known from the beginning which of them did not believe in who would betray him. He went on to say, This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless the Father has enabled them. From this time, many of his disciples turned back and no longer followed him. You do not want to leave too, do you? Jesus asked the twelve. Simon Peter answered, Lord, to whom shall we go? 
You have the words of eternal life. You have come to believe and to know that you are the Holy One of God. Then Jesus replied, I have not chosen you, the twelve, yet one of you is a devil. He meant Judas, the son of Simon, who thought one of the twelve was later to betray him. So what's clear is Jesus picked twelve, and one of them he knew was a devil. When we go to the Gospel of John, chapter 12, we read verses 1 through 8. We're going to look at this in the English Standard Version. This is what we also learn about Judas. Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany, where Lazarus was, whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner from him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at table. Many Mary therefore took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas, one of his disciples, who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, Not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, Leave her alone, so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you always have with you, but you do not always have me. Great job, Dan. So we know that Judas said, right? We know that Judas said that he was wondering why the ointment was being used, right? Get money from it, right? He cared. He only mentioned it, not because he actually cared, but he put his two cents in because he was a thief. And he was thinking about the financials, benefits that he could reap from it being sold, right? We know that he was in charge of the common funds. And the best part about it was he even knew how much it cost. He said, well, he knew the value, the market value of how much. It so, yes, you know, we could get 300. This right. So he was he was thinking he was thinking he was already flying. Yeah. Right. So he already knew. Right. And the, the scripture says that he embezzled some of the funds. Right. So we knew he was selfish and he was sneaky. And yet Jesus was aware and he allowed it. I love what Jesus says in Luke eight seventeen. right? He says, for all that is secret will eventually be brought into the open. And everything that is concealed will be brought to the light and made known to all. So understand that Jesus is a mastermind, right? And he was allowing this foolishness to transpire and never caught him by surprise. He just allowed things to play out in his own timing. Now, I want us to take a look at what God hates. Right. We're going to we're going to we're going to tie this all in. Right. So stay with me. What God hates is stated in Proverbs. So we're going to look at Proverbs chapter six and we're going to look at verses 16 through 19 in the standard version. Daniel. There are six things that the Lord hates. Seven that are an abomination to him. Haughty eyes, a lying tongue and hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans, and feet that make haste to run to evil. A false witness who breathes out lies, 
and one who sows discord among his brothers. So when we look at this list, there are a few things that Judas did that God didn't like, right? And of course, we're looking in the context that Jesus is God, right? So Jesus, Judas had a lying tongue, right? He questioned why the ointment was not sold for 300 denarii and why shouldn't it be given to the poor when all along Judas wanted to pocket the money for himself, right? Which is what he's been doing. When we go back to Luke 22 verses 3 through 5, we learn that Judas has a heart that devises wicked plans. One which is the benefit of him. Now the very thing God hates, one could argue the devil loves, is what Paul tells us in Romans 6.13 is a very real thing. This is what he tells us. Do not offer any part of yourself to sin as an instrument of wickedness, but rather offer yourself to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and offer every part of yourself to him as an instrument of righteousness. So when we go back to Luke 22 verses 3 to 5 in the English Standard Version, we see this. Satan entered into Judas and called, who was the number of the twelve? He went away and conferred with the chief priests and officers of how he might betray him to them. And they were glad and agreed to give him money. So he consented and sought an opportunity to betray him to them in the absence of a crowd. So Judas allowed the devil to use him as an instrument of wickedness. One of the acts of the flesh in Galatians 5.20 is debauchery and self-ambition. To take it a step forward. If we go to 1 John chapter 2, verse 16 in the English Standard Version, this is what we're warned about. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh and the desires of the eyes and pride in possessions, is not from the Father, but is from the world. So the devil... Now, I do have a question here. Okay, sure. So... A lot of people are known to be uh, ambitious. So what's the difference between being ambitious for yourself and uh, selfish ambition? What's the what's the difference? Well, selfish ambition is what a person would go to the length in order to achieve something that they have. Now, obviously, self ambition can be a good thing. Right. But self ambition from a standpoint, which is why I combine the concept of being self-ambition and debauchery has to do with greediness, right? And that mm. greed to ultimately chase after something that can be detrimental to you later on is what God warns us of. So there's nothing wrong with having nice and beautiful things. What's wrong about it is there's the desire to have those nice and beautiful things at what cost, right? The scripture says that to chase after something it with the means, and I'm paraphrasing here, to gain the whole world, but to lose your soul in the end. What does that do for you? Absolutely nothing, but for your soul to be gone, right? So there has to be a distinction and an understanding that anything done to the extreme leads to error, right? So we have to be mindful and careful that our desires don't lead us down the path of doing things that can compromise our character. And compromise who gotcha. we are to ultimately chase something that might not fulfill us. Because book of, I would say, Ecclesiastes talks about this concept of chasing after the wind. And eventually mm. what it is, is 
I remember what's being said there is that you can chase after what it is that you want or you want, but in the end, it won't satisfy you. So that's the big thing about what selfish ambition. And in this text, we're learning that, you know, Judas is a lover of money. He's a thief. So now, given the opportunity, he named his price. They gave him the amount of money for him to portray Jesus. And he did it at the extent, to the degree, because guess what? Jesus' whereabouts weren't disclosed. They couldn't find him until Judas came along and then provided that information, all because he wanted some money. See? Make sense? Makes perfect sense. Yeah, so... In the words of uh, the Spartans, death before dishonor. Yeah. Those are some very... We have to be very careful about the things that we want and desire in this world. Because eventually we know that it won't bring us happiness. The only person that can bring us happiness is Jesus. So the devil is the prince of this world. And we are in this world. And therefore, he has plenty of things at his disposal to try and tempt us. Not only to sin, but to do his will. I love what Peter says about a couple of things about our faith and what we should add to our faith. And this is what he says in Second Peter chapter 1, verses 1 to 8. Very important here. To those who through the righteousness of our God and Savior Jesus Christ have received a faith as precious as ours. Grace and peace be yours in abundance through the knowledge of God and Jesus our Lord. His divine power has given us everything we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and goodness. Through these he has given us his very great and precious promises so that through them you may participate in the divine nature, having escaped the corruption in the world caused by evil desires. For this very reason, make every effort to add to your faith goodness, and to goodness, knowledge, and to knowledge, self-control, and to self-control, perseverance, and to perseverance, godliness, and to godliness, mutual affection, and to mutual affection, love. For if you possess these qualities in increasing measure, they will keep you from being ineffective and unproductive in your knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now that we have built a solid foundation, let's spend the remaining time learning what it really means for God to extend his hand to us and why it's important that we should take it because it's another chance. So let's first start with Luke 22, verse 33. Now, Peter said to Jesus, I am ready to go to prison with you, even die with you. Now, that's an admirable gesture for Peter. I believe most people would appreciate Peter. Peter's devotion to Jesus here. When I was young, I thought that Jesus having to die alone wasn't fair. And of course, a horrible claim to suffer. Right? An honorable claim, I want to say, let me say that again, right? I thought that Jesus having to die alone, it wasn't fair. And of course, I thought, you know, Peter making this statement, it was an honorable claim to suffer with him. Right. And I think Jesus would show that Jesus would appreciate that as well. I think anybody looking at this, not knowing the full story, would appreciate what's being stated here. Now, I think Jesus, too, would show this consideration as a true brother. 
right? That you would do anything for them, even die, right? Now, here's the interesting thing, right? When I think about this, this is like almost like a code between brothers or family. And when you're looking at scripture sometimes in order to understand it and make it personalize it to you to really grasp what's going on here, you're listening to what Peter is saying. And obviously Jesus being God takes the fun out of it. But what I'm thinking is that if Jesus wasn't God or Jesus was a regular person and this story wasn't the gospel story, I think Jesus would appreciate what Peter is saying here. And I think us viewing the character from the outside would also appreciate what Peter is doing here. And then I think in return, Jesus would appreciate what Peter is doing here. Right. So I, I just want to clear that up, clear it up and make sure that we understand each other when I say that I think it was admirable for what Peter is doing as he's devoting himself to Jesus, saying that I'm there with you no matter what. And I think Jesus would consider it a true brotherly way of expressing that to him. And he would he would take it in. He would receive it. Now, we know that this isn't the true story. We know that Jesus came to do a number of things. That he also came for purifications of sins. That he came by one man. Right? Now, very important thing that I think Paul says here that's pretty beautiful. We're going to look at it in Romans chapter 5. Where we look at verses 12 through 19 in NIV. Sums it up pretty well here. Daniel? Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, and death through sin, and in this way death came to all people, because all sin, to be sure, sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not charged against anyone's account where there is no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses even over those who did not sin by breaking a command, as did Adam, who is a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. For if the many died by the trespass of the one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by the grace of the one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the results of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation. But the gift followed many trespasses and brought justification. For if, by the trespass of the one man, death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and of the gift of righteousness reign in life? through the one man, Jesus Christ. Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one righteous act resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of the one man that many were made sinners, so also through the obedience of the one man, the many will be made righteous. Great job. So well, so, well put by Paul. No need to add to how beautiful that was read. 
Now we can clearly see that Peter expresses how he wants to go to prison with Jesus and or die. And we know that it's not possible because the cup Jesus must drink must be done alone. The death that Jesus must face has to be done alone. Remember, this is God in the flesh. He doesn't need any saving. He's God. So this is part of his plan. And he's the only one that does the saving, right? The sacrifice in this story can't be shared. There's only one God and three persons. That's it. Now, we know in short that Jesus informs Peter that he would deny him three times. And the third time you will hear the sign of the, the roasted crow, right? Now, I don't want our focus to be there today. It's important we understand Peter's state of mind. It's key. Now, this is when things get interesting. Let's go to Luke chapter 22 verse 35 to 38 and we're gonna look at this in the nlt daniel then jesus asked them when i sent you out to preach the good news and you did not have money a traveler's bag or an extra pair of sandals did you need anything no they replied but now he said Take your money in a traveler's bag, and if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. He was counted among the rebels. Yes, everything written about me by the prophets will come true. Look, Lord, they replied, we have two swords among us. That's enough, he said. Yeah, so, G- so Jesus is interesting, right? And he's interesting because he points out the times that he sent the disciples out to preach the gospel. He told them not to carry anything. Now, let's go to that verse to reference it, because I think it's very important to see what Jesus was talking about and how it's comparable here. So we're going to go to the gospel of Luke chapter 9. We're going to look at verses 1 through 6 in the NIV. Daniel? When Jesus had called the twelve together... He gave them power and authority to drive out all demons and to cure diseases. He sent them out to proclaim the kingdom of God and to heal the sick. He told them, take nothing for the journey. No staff, no bag, no bread, no money, no extra shirt. Whatever house you enter, stay there until you leave that town. If people do not welcome you, leave their town and shake the dust off your feet as a testimony against them. So they set out and went from village to village, proclaiming the good news and healing people everywhere. So this is what Jesus was referencing here in the text Daniel just read. Now in Luke 22, verse 35 through 38, in Luke 22, verse 35 through 38, we see that Jesus tells them all of a sudden, now take your money and a traveling bag. And if you don't have a sword, sell your cloak and buy one. For the time has come for this prophecy about me to be fulfilled. At the end of verse 38, the disciples say, look, Lord, we have two swords among us. That's enough, Jesus said. Now, I find this text to be very interesting because as we go to Luke 22, a few things happen. Jesus gives up Jesus' whereabouts. Jesus knew his hour had come. All of this took place at the Mount of Olives. Jesus prayed three times and his disciples at the point in time, couldn't stay awake to pray and watch. And as we come to this portion of scripture, where we're going to look at right now, we're going to see some interesting things. 
again this is all the foundation building up to this point so we're going to look at luke chapter 22 we're going to look at verses 47 through 53 daniel while he was speaking behold a crowd came and the one called judas one of the twelve was leading the way for them and he approached jesus to kiss him but jesus said to him judas are you betraying the temple and elders who had come against him? Have you come out with swords and clubs as you would against a man inciting a revolt? While I was with you daily in the temple, you did not lay hands on me. But this hour and the power of darkness are in yours. So before we go on and we start to break this down, I want to make a point. This is a conversation I had with one of my friends earlier today. This term slave, right? The term slave in the Greek means servant. Now, you should understand that slave during that time was applicable. It was applicable because it was normal, right? When we read scripture, we have to understand that the words and what it meant and the context and how it was written needs to be taken in consideration. We can't take our Western perspective. And look at slave and mean it to be something that's justifiable to question whether or not slave was okay during that period in time and say that they had slaves. No, they had servants. Servants in this modern time that and how we look at scripture is how we're supposed to appreciate the text, not slaves in the sense of having no freedom and having no ability to do anything. At that time, they sold themselves because that was something that was normally done in order to get things accomplished. But no, they had rights to the degree to sell themselves in order to make money, profit, in order to live, in order to eat, etc., etc. So the scripture, the, the word slave in this context means servant, okay? Which means your willingness to be a partaker. And someone else's rule you will partake of, that's your choice. So please, please, when we read scripture, it's important that we look at the original context. One of the hermeneutics that I mentioned in the first episode, that would take away the bias and the wrong perspective that we have when we look at scripture. I'm mentioning it now because as believers, we can't be ignorant of how the world looks at scripture and points out that the book that we trust and believe and take wholeheartedly to be true. All of a sudden, we start to frown our minds and frown and have a frown look because we think that the way that they're interpreting it is correct. It's not. I want to make sure I throw that out there because it's very important. Is very important. Now, a few things to look at here. Remember, Peter proclaimed that he would go to jail and or die with Jesus. And one of the ways he strived to keep that promise is by taking the sword and striking the servant of the high priest. Which means that the sword they packed at the time was needed and very important in order to fulfill the prophecy that Jesus already knew about. Now, another thing is Jesus healed the servant of the high priest. Servant, in the Greek, is translated into slave. 
So for the people who read this text from the perspective of Western lenses, they see slave in the wrong fashion and not seeing slave meant to be servant. I'll mention it again. Ignorance is bliss. Okay. Now, some scholars say that Peter's intent. Now, notice, at least in this text in Luke, his name is not provided here. Right. And this is important because it's the I testimony book, which means there were witnesses that saw this. And for some strange reason, we don't get Paul's name, not Paul, we don't get Peter's name until we read a different translation, not a translation, we read a different gospel. But some scholars believe that Peter's intent was not to strike the ear, but was to strike for the throat. Right now to get some specifics for this. For things to come together nicely, we need to go to the gospel of John and we need to go to the gospel of Matthew. So let's begin with the Gospel of John, chapter 18, verses 10 to 11 first. Daniel? Simon Peter, who had a sword, drew it and struck the high priest's servant, cutting off his right ear. The servant's name was Malchus. Jesus commanded Peter, pull your sword away, put your sword away. Shall I not drink the cup all the Father has given me? Now, finally, let's go to Matthew chapter 26, and we're going to look at the NIV. We're going to look at verses 51 through 54. One of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father? And he will at once put out my disposal disposal more than 12 legions of angels but how then will the scriptures be fulfilled that said it must happen this way all right please hear me out as i explain some things here the reason why i titled the podcast take my hand for another chance so this is what i want us to do this is a thinking exercise you could be a partake of it or not but in order to really understand how we interpret this text i need you to consider my suggestion so imagine yourself in water and all of a sudden you start to drown in that moment you're looking for someone to save you because your life is in jeopardy so you stick out your hand hoping that someone will pull you out here's another scenario but the same concept you're on a mountain you fell and you're holding on barely holding on dear life you're waiting for someone to pull you up so you stick your hand out in hopes that someone can save you, pull you up. I'm here to say that the person that can save your life or prevent it from crashing down is Jesus Christ. Now, I'm giving you two drastic examples that pinpoint life or death outcome. And yet, if there's a chance, we could also say that you also could survive, but you won't be the same physically or mentally. I use this type of example to explain that in life, God has a way of showing up for the believer, but also the unbeliever. I'm going to say that one more time. God has a way of showing up for the believer, but also the unbeliever. I believe I can speak for everyone when I say this. In life, we have all faced situations where we were in trouble, made the wrong choice. Dealing with the wrong person, just at the wrong place at the wrong time. And you need God to help you out 
of a bind. From scripture, you have both examples here, starting with what transpires with Peter. Both of these examples stare in the face. We're going to look at Peter's example first. Peter made a decision, right, to cut off the ear of Malchus, who was a high priest servant. Both parties were in serious trouble. One of the reasons it was important to look at the Gospel of Matthew and the Gospel of John is because only the Gospel of John, we find out the man's name that had his ear cut off. And I think it's important because scholars say that John personally knew who Malchus was. Now, I believe that in this moment, Malchus had a traumatic experience, right? He was a servant that belonged to the high priest. Therefore, you could say his beliefs and his philosophy stemmed from the high priest. Now, regardless of the man's belief, Jesus made a decision to heal him. Malchus not only had this experience done to him, he may not want to admit it, but his life changed forever. He experienced a miracle personally. A while back, we had Pastor Roy Dockery, episode 45. Check that out if you haven't. And he has testified to his supernatural healing experience. And the reality was, he wasn't saved yet. Usually when a person has experienced that, they cannot explain what happened to them however they spend time trying to process what happened to them they go into a reflection mode now i did some research and there's no way of knowing if malchus became a believer i'm being optimistic here when i say i hope he did and there's a possibility that he did as a result one of the stories that we know is that the man who struck jesus on the side of the rib blood came spearing out and apparently the blood that got spilled on the man, he became a believer, right? Those are just stories. From a minor perspective in our personal life today, I'm sure a lot of us have had moments where God stepped in and showed up in a big way. We are obviously speaking about miracles, right? From a miracle standpoint, we have had to sit back and say to ourselves, man, that potentially was God. There's no other explanation for some of these outcomes. Even if you start to make it up in your mind, you begin to realize over time, yet you realize it's just a stretch. This is most definitely without question God's handiwork. Now, another way you can look at this portion of the text is Jesus spares Peter's life for his benefit. Now, we know Peter made a choice that led to violence, right? There was a display of rebellious behavior. And as a result, if this incident is reported, Peter could face crucifixion. He could be crucified. Jesus responds by covering that up and fixes it to the point that nothing really happened. We know that Peter is affected by it because it gave him a clean slate. And as a result, we went and we can see that Jesus at the time had a hearing. Right? And Paul, not Paul, Peter comes in at the time. Peter comes in at the time for the verdict, and he was pressed three times by a religious soldier who, who there at the time 
saw what happened. And of course, Peter denies his affiliations with the situation. We learn in Matthew a few valuable lessons about the impact in which how we can choose to handle situations. And ultimately, that choice in how we handle the situations could ultimately be a downfall or it could be a positive thing. Now, let's hear what Jesus tells Peter one more time, Daniel. And this is in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 26, verses 51 through 54. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he would at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But then, how will the scriptures be fulfilled that says it must happen in this way? So Jesus wants to reassure to Peter that the outcome is part of his plan, part of the Father's plan. He says in the Gospel of John, chapter 16, verse 7, that very truly I tell you, it is for your good that I am going away. Unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. I'm here to point out that a lot of us have made poor choices. Say that again. I'm here to point out that a lot of us have made poor choices, poor decisions. And guess what? God, at times, has shown up and he's flipped predicaments. He's turned things around in our favor. In the book of First Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 18, says, And everything give thanks, for this is God's will. For you in Christ Jesus, God has a way of bringing. God, God has a way of bringing. Good out of circumstances. He knows how to make it look. He knows how to make it and take it into a learning experience, even if it's far-fetched. Now I'm living proof of that. Why? Because I have a personal testimony. I'm going to share this personal testimony. It was a point in time. I was going to school in California, and at that point in time, I was coming home for Christmas. And as I was coming home for Christmas, I had a roommate who smoked a lot of weed. And one of them things my parents told me is never get in the car with someone that smokes weed, right? Because potentially you're looking at being arrested and finding weed on him, and then we all going to jail for it. Now. This roommate's name will remain disclosed. I will not tell you what his name is. But he was one of those individuals where in order for him to function, he needed to smoke weed. He smoked weed for creativity because he was a major in music. So he was part of a band. Now what transpires is he smoked before we got in the car. Now I would tell him, hey, don't smoke before you drop me off somewhere. But apparently... It was a legit it was a legit thing with him that he needed weed to actually function. And what transpired is one of the reasons why I was asking him to take me, because financially I just didn't have it, man. I didn't have it because I needed it, my money to pay for my luggage to go back home. But more importantly, man, just paying for the bus to go to school and to practice financially living off of financial aid and working under the Department of Financial uh, Aid jobs where they basically have funding and you get paid to that certain degree up to the, the large amount of funds that they have 
those are one of the things that you're subject to. That if you're a financial student worker, whatever the funds that they have, I don't know, it could be anywhere from six, seven, eight, maybe ten thousand. You get paid weekly, but you work up to that degree, and then the funds come to an end. So I was monitoring all those things. So I get in the car with him. We're driving we're on the highway. We're getting ready to jump on the highway, do one of those turns where you're kind of like turning, turning, turning until you get into the parkway. And basically, the car shifts, it slips, it goes off the road. And at the time, I was on the phone with my mom. And when we got off the road, the car flew, flipped, and we fell in the ditch. Now, God forbid, by God's grace and mercy, not only was the car unharmed, me and him were unharmed. And in that moment, I realized that I was protected. Put myself in a predicament where I shouldn't have been in a car with this, in this individual. However, God shielded me, protected me. And I'm sharing this because this is an opportunity to provide a testimony for people to see. And I'm pretty sure we all have little testimonies where God basically did exactly what he did for Peter, right? He covered up his mistake and he put Peter in a predicament later on to feed his sheep, right? And I'm also here to say that we can look at this story and see that Malchus, even though on the wrong side of things, Jesus healed him, regardless of his beliefs. So I truly believe out there that we need to understand that God shows up for the believer and the unbeliever. And there are moments and times that he's showing himself up to be someone to look after. Doesn't always have to be a supernatural thing. Some things they are very practical in which God has an opportunity to show up in a big way and make a change or remind you that he cares about you and he loves you. And more importantly, he wants you to come back not only just to serve him, but to love him and appreciate him. And he does this on a consistent basis. He's there for you. And that's one thing I wanted to share. So the whole concept of him taking his hand out an extension, I'm going to get into that. But this is what I want to say. Last thing. I want you people to know that God at points will, if he has it, has stuck his hand out to shield you from situations spiritually that you know nothing about. Remember, all who have placed their faith in him no longer have to fear death because Jesus conquered death. Scripture says that God so loved the world that whoever believes in him will not perish, but in return will receive everlasting eternal life. As we speak, that gift, that chance is available and it's free. So my recommendation is when you see Jesus stretching out his hand, take it so that you can have another chance at life, at a better outcome, and thank him in advance every day for what he is about to do, whether you can see it or not. Remember, in the verse that I'm going to mention to you is in Romans 5, chapter 8. But before I say that, I want to give you one more testimony, and I won't reveal their name either. An individual I know that drives irresponsibly. This person is a Lyft driver. They have made some poor decisions and choices in life behind their will. They have a family to provide, 
for and they could have potentially gotten their license suspended therefore they won't be able to provide for their family now God has allowed this person to have their license remain unsuspended by the grace of God this person is still driving provided for his family in spite of the bad decisions they have made in the past recently they told me the last two times that they went on the verge of having their license suspended somehow some way those charges were dropped so I'm sharing these testimonies to understand if you haven't had an experience I don't know Dan have you ever had an experience when God swooped in and helped the situation of yours out oh yeah of course (laughs) right we don't know how we just know that he comes in and he alleviates your situation and you can't explain it you just know it's him with certainty so I don't know do you want to share one before we close oh no that one's too personal (laughs) that one's too personal for the podcast huh oh okay that that, that one's too personal so, we're going to finish with Romans 5, 8, and then obviously devotional time. Daniel? God clearly shows and proves his own love for us by the fact that we were still sinners. Christ died for us. There we go. And with that, we begin with devotion. Humans are prone to wander, make mistakes, and become defeated. Earth's first couple had very simple rules to follow. However, it seemed easy for them to believe that God was holding all the best for himself and that following him wasn't in their best interest. You're probably no different. You may feel God doesn't really understand you. You may believe he will withhold something you want. God designed you to embrace his plan and purpose. But because of sin, your natural bent is to look out for yourself. You can be convinced that things, fame, and money provide a path to the satisfaction you want. But they don't. Instead, the self-centered pursuit of these things pulls you away from God, the only one who can truly satisfy. In Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23, it says, I know, God, that mere mortals can't run their own lives. That means that men and women don't have what it takes to take charge of life. A self-focused lifestyle often leads to misunderstanding, to misapplication of what you learn, and to misguided trips to places God has marked keep out. In what parts of life have you been only looking out for yourself? I know this devotion may hit hard for a lot of you out there because we are told nowadays to act in our own self-interest, to look out for self, to put yourself first instead of putting God first. We're told a lot of the times that it is important to always look out for what is in your best interest. How it is that it is described in the world today is not God's way. And this small prayer could help change that around. I really do hope that it changes. 
the way we look and view at things differently. Lord, help me to trust you. Lord, help me to trust you to be convinced that you're not withholding anything from me, but will work out your plan in my life in due time. And in your holy name we say, Amen. Amen.